I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome, my guest, Brian Lidner. Ryan is a personal development specialist and author. He's worked as a behavioral coach all over the world. Ryan talks about how two sudden unexplained cardiac arrest at a young age taught him how to prioritize his time and energy. This is Ryan's story, a message of self-acceptance. I enjoy his story, especially his mention of his challenge as an introvert. I am glad that nowadays, slowly, we're becoming more open and accepting of all kinds of people's personalities. In the end, the important thing is that we learn who we are, what we like, how we function best, what our values are, and that we love and accept ourselves. That's what we're here for. I am certain of that. Accepting who we are opens doors to self-care and a much more positive attitude. So let's enjoy Ryan's story. Welcome, Ryan. Good to have you. Love to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I know you have a story. Please tell me why do you want to share a story with us? Well, I've been a coach for many, many years. I just saw the ability to connect with people and, and my story seemed to resonate the more I told it and prove my connections with people. You know, that's what I've made a career of doing is, is having conversations with people and helping them. And Ryan, when does your story start? I would say in my mid-20s. I think it gets juicier in my mid-20s. Uh, I grew up with really, really bad anxiety. The anxiety kind of continued on through, through my 20s. As I got older, I got what I would call my dream job. So I was a, a contractor for a long time, did some real small projects. I was there for about a month. And I had a cardiac arrest, like a really random, sudden cardiac arrest. And then I had another one a day later. No family history, no real signs, just walking along one day and boom. At what age? I was 30 when it happened, a little over 10 years ago. It dramatically changed the coaching sessions because I was back at work five days later. The reason why is, you know, I was in financial need. I had just started that role. And of course, I didn't have benefits that kicked in yet. And I didn't have any paid time off. So I had to get back to work. And so I'm at work and I'm connected to all these wires that are monitoring my heart because it was a big mystery. It still is. It's over 10 years later and they still don't know what happened. The closest that I can figure out is that I perhaps have some electrical problems. I have a pacemaker now as a safety net. For someone who has been, you know, as a coach who's prioritized wellness, I, I was a non-smoker and took care of myself, enough sleep, no family history. You know, I did all everything right. And then coming back to work, I find myself on the phone with a client and it just sounded different. It felt different. You know, days later, I'm hooked to all those wires. I was listening to a lady tell me all about her problems and it just sounded so different because they couldn't see me. I was, it was all telephonic. It was all virtual session. I have a condition where I'm dizzy basically 24 hours a day, oh, wow. different waves, but sometimes it's really bad. Like I'm on a boat. It's taught me that I have to have boundaries in my life because if I don't, I get sick. If I don't get enough sleep, if I take on too much, if I do all those things that a lot of us do, I end up 
blacking out or getting really sick and I'll be debilitated for, for weeks and weeks and months where I can't even function. As a coach, it's interesting because what I do is I help people with those boundaries and I have to have boundaries on my own. It's a big mystery. I've seen world-renowned specialists, dizziness specialists, and it's sort of a big mystery. One is related to the other or are there separate things? They're related. Um, they're, yeah, they're thinking it's all the same condition, which is basically electrical problems. They've not determined a cause of it, but you know the pacemaker is there as sort of a, a safety net. My life is really just managing triggers, managing things that may make it worse. It never quite goes away, but I always have to just be mindful. The, the only thing that's ever really like helped a little bit is sleep. And I have to get just a crazy amount of sleep to, in order to function. Hmm. Do you think that this is also related with your anxiety? I don't think it's related to that. I think it's a little bit ironic because I, I developed some PTSD-related symptoms as a result. For someone who had anxiety as a kid, it certainly didn't help when you go through something like that. And especially having it be a mystery, because for a long time, I, I never knew if I was coming or going. You know, I never knew, is today the day that I drop? It was just terrifying. I mean, I remember being in an airport and I was having an episode. I was by myself. I remember feeling clammy, you know, sweaty, lightheaded. My vision started changing and I, I, I was like, it's happening. It's happening again. It was just utterly terrifying. You seek comfort wherever you can. I anybody around who could help you or it, it's just an utterly terrifying experience. Just to never know and every day have it being like what's going on and always being dizzy. It's, it's scary. That's terrible. I know. I, I get seasick. And so being sick is horrible. Like that, being dizzy, you just don't care about anything anymore. We were going whale watching and I was just like, I don't, I don't care about the whales. I don't want to know anything about whales. <laughs> just get me out of this boat. I can only imagine if it's constantly for you, not fun. Same thing. I went whale watching once and we, there was a little baby humpback or something. As much as I love animals, didn't care one bit. You know, when you're in that situation, you, you can relate. It, all you care about is like making it one moment to the next, one moment to the yes, next. Yes. That's it. That's when you realize how important health is, is like number one, because you can just enjoy anything if you don't feel well. I think we treat ourselves the worst when we're feeling our best because we don't appreciate not having a toothache until you do. And then you're like, wow, I really miss not having one. You know, I took it for granted. And you're, you're right. I, you know, for years, I think I did take my health for granted because I just figured, you know, hey, I was a young guy, I was into fitness and nutrition and all that. And then you have something like that happen and you reevaluate your whole life. You know, there are some things I could never do again. Really shifted how I thought about things. And you, you mentioned like, again, with like being seasick is that's the way I live now. It, every single thing in my day is like prioritizing my energy. And that's, that's really all time management is. Time management is really just prioritizing your energy. And when you don't have a lot of energy, like I have a very finite amount of energy My whole day is like a really conscious effort. If I am putting my time and energy to something, I am saying to the universe, this is definitely worth it. I grew up as a constant worrier and now I've learned I can't worry as much. All, all of that in some weird way has helped me as a coach because I can talk to people about what is and is not worth their energy. How are your friends 
or how does the people treat you? Because you look fine, you look healthy, right? And so you just said, I'm tired, I can't do this. It's similar to mental illness. Unless I see you bleeding, you don't really realize that something is wrong with you. Harder for people to understand that you have your limits, your boundaries, because you're like, you're young, come on, let's do this. And, and you know you can't. But it's difficult for people to understand. How, how do you see that? That's a great point. It reminds me of the boundaries again. When, when you have boundaries for yourself, what I mean by that is there's going to be some things that you're going to have to decline or turn down. You're going to have, you have to be careful you're not overextended. You have to put yourself first in some ways so that you can be better for other people. Some people are not going to be okay with that. If people don't like it, you have to give them permission not to like it and have it be okay. You're absolutely right. When you don't look sick, there are some people who really just do not believe you or they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have had that happen. In fact, I was blacking out in a parking lot. The people there did not, there's a longer story there, but they did not believe that I was blacking out. And I, I most certainly was. It's been kind of a lesson in learning to let go. You have to let go of what other people think because that will lead you down this rabbit hole. I learned how much I cared about what other people think. I learned just how much before this happened to me. Fortunately, everyone does. Exactly. No one is going to look out for you like you can. Yes. It's interesting the comment that you said that we treat ourselves worse when we are our best. I think so because we're feeling so good, we just take it for granted. And most people, they're not really present in their daily lives until they are usually something pulls them into the moment, a trauma. No, no. When you see it, somebody writes a book or something, you know that it has happened. And there's some people that need a lesson and some other people that could just have a, a regular through life without nothing shocking had to happen to them, you know, to learn. You're right. I think people need a, a catalyst, but not necessarily a trauma or something like that. A catalyst just could be maybe they read a book or they heard something or something triggered in their mind. Listen to a story. Exactly. And this is why I love all your content. Stories have a way of, it resonates, it connects with people. People listen and say, well, how does this apply to my own life? I am much more present now than I used to be because I have that constant reminder, which is the dizziness. How do you deal with, or what do you do with your mind? I know you have the PTSD and there's anxiety. So how, how do you deal with that? I would be lying if I said that I'd absolutely mastered it at all times. I, I don't know if, if any of us do. What helped me to stop treating all these things as something that was wrong with me that I had to fix? Oh, interesting. My whole life, I've been scared. I was a worrier, of course, and just the anxiety and all that. And so I became a coach. I initially just looking for help on, for myself. I, I felt like there was always something I had to fix. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be introverted. I, and eventually, once I just said, not only is it nothing to be fixed, but I actually love it. Uh -huh. I love being introverted. And, and I actually do. I love being introverted. I'm generally quiet natured. I recharge my batteries. I do what real well in solitude. And introverts are really good listeners. And they oftentimes make great leaders. They tend to be introspective. I started really saying, well, this is just an aspect of my personality. Why, why do I hate it? What if I just said, I love it. I love it. And I, I wouldn't change it. And once I started doing that, and, and I really felt that way, however I showed up, it was just being me and it was okay. And that was okay. And a lot of the anxiety dissipated. A lot of it really did. You know, self-help is such a big industry out there. And there's so many books on, this is the perfect method to overcoming 
whatever. Mm-hmm. Step one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's nothing you're going to find out there that isn't just someone's opinion about what works. The most important thing is just how do you feel about yourself? I mean, that sounds so simple. That's really what it is. Once I started just appreciating those things and, and just not worrying, it took practice, but that that has really helped me. And I just don't have time to worry over and over the course of time, you know, 10 years now. It's been a, a certainly a journey practicing that. And you have siblings? I do. Yep. I have one brother. Is he more extrovert? Uh, yeah, I, I would still say he's an introvert, but definitely less so than myself. In fact, I would say I was more introverted than any of the clients I've had. Like the Myers-Briggs test and all those things, I was always like 100%. Oh, really? All, yep. Wow. It wasn't just a little like leaning to, to introversion. I was totally introverted. Huh. How interesting. To me, it was a bit of opposite, right? Because I, I always thought I'm, I'm an extrovert. When I did that test, they make us all be on a line according to the percentage. It was quite an eye-opener for me to realize, okay, I'm only 10% extrovert. That makes sense. I think it's important that people know also that there's a spectrum and not that you are either one or the other. Because the percentage, I think, makes a huge difference to understand yourself. You're right. There is a, a spectrum. I was invited to amusement park once with three people I did not know super well, but they were all very, very extroverted. Plus the amusement park. That was like one of the worst times I've ever had. <laughs> I was totally shutting down by the end. And I, I'm sure they thought I was just like an awful person to hang around. <laughs> I, I wasn't in the right situation to be my best. I just wasn't. No, they can suck your all your energy, I think. And it was 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. that we were out. As an introvert, like I need breaks. I need to recharge. And they were just going, going, going. I just couldn't hang with them. I just couldn't do it. I've learned how I work best over the years. I try to put myself in situations that I will be better in. And it's okay if I'm not great in certain situations. There's a misconception that all introverts are always shy. It's more, I think, just how we recharge. Yes, how we recharge. So you realize this, you realize that, yes, why don't I just love myself the way I am? In the past, people always used to criticize the extroverts. And what else do you like about yourself? That That's hard to, to say. I I think it comes back to just accepting kind of how I'm going to show up and not trying to fix it. I think what I love most was a learned behavior, the ability to just step back and look at a situation and understand what's going on. In other words, to be present in it. Um, I think that's what I appreciate the most. Most of the time, we don't realize our self-dialogue and, and how we treat ourselves. You know, our whole day is basically a series of micro decisions, these little tiny choices we make. I think it all starts with just being aware of how you're being in a situation. And so, Ryan, how is it that you decided that you love for coaching in such a young age? Well, I never knew it was a career option, so I could never say that I planned on it. In fact, a lot of the people I work with, I help them through transitions. Most of the time, they're trying to find this purpose for themselves, and they don't realize that their purpose is not in a role. It's not in any role. The purpose is exploring who they are as a person. Um, but I think I just sort of fell into coaching. You know, I gravitated towards wellness just because I enjoyed fitness, nutrition, and I found myself doing really well in one-on-one conversations versus the big groups. And I could listen and ask good questions. And then I had an offer 
you know, and I got additional training and went back to school. I really fell into it. I never set out to be a coach because I just didn't know that was an option. To your point, I, I think a lot of people say, well, I want to be a coach. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything. All you have to be able to do is help the person you're talking to. That's it. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know more than they do in terms of helping them explore. And, and if you can help someone and, and know what questions to ask, then, then, then you've helped someone. And I've seen imposter syndrome a lot. And I've talked to a lot of people about that. They feel like they are, well, who am I to do this? Yeah, exactly. Who are you? And again, it's that self-dialogue. Uh, why you? Well, why not you? You just have to be present with people and then you can learn the rest. Very nice that we get to know you. Just tell me more. So I have four cats and a dog. There's a couple of them just keep showing up at my door. I integrate them or try to. But there's a reason why animals really intrigue me because no animal lives exclusively in the past and future, right? They're not living in an anxiety about tomorrow. They're just there. And if you have an attitude with them or yell at them, and then you come back later, they're going to be happy to see you again. And they live in the moment. I feel like I'm like getting coached by the cat or something. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you know? I, I feel like, you know, as humans, we're, we're just in our heads way too much. I always think of this example. When someone cuts you off in traffic, what do most people do? They go on this internal dialogue, right? Like, oh, that guy cut me off in traffic. He's terrible. Like, And I always say, well, would it change your opinion of the situation if you knew that the guy who cut you off in traffic was rushing his pregnant wife who was giving birth in the car to the hospital? Would that change your opinion of that person? Or what if he just made a mistake? Have you made a mistake? I have. What most people do in their heads without knowing it is they make assumptions about the situation and they relive it over and over. Who are you punishing when you carry this stuff in your head over and over? Well, you're punishing yourself. My point is oftentimes we carry these mental commentaries around without knowing it. And it just takes up real estate. Most stuff in your life is just, it's just not worth it. In any situation, I always ask myself two things. Number one, what do I actually know about the situation? And number two, is it worth the energy? And the cost of anything in your life is how much time it takes from you. That's the cost. And everything in your life has a cost. And that's kind of how I live because I have to. Yes, I learned that, that you said from Michael A. Singer. I don't know if you read the books of the Untethered Soul and the Surrendered Experiment. And he talks a lot about how your brain is always talking. So yes, you have a point there. So how do you live your life? How is a regular day for Ryan? Most of my days are um, quite a bit of chores with the animals, having conversations the majority of the day. I, I do manage my energy. I've kind of learned how I work best. So I, I break when I need to. I write a lot of new content as well. I always make sure towards the end of the day, I just like to unwind and, and I love being outside. So. You like to write as well? Yep. I have a book out. It came out in April. It's called The Half-Known Life. Now, I think a lot of people hear that title. They, they assume what it might be about. It's actually from a quote from Moby Dick, and it's really about the inability for us to see ourselves. We can't always see ourselves. I had a psychologist as a client, and the first time I ever had a psychologist, I was kind of thinking to myself, I thought they were supposed to have it all figured out because, you know, psychologists, right? And then I realized quickly that we're all just people. And no matter how smart you are, you can't always see yourself. The book is really about exploring who that person is. And most people give you a resume. It's circumstantial. I, I am still that person in my core. You know, my circumstances are different. 
And, and that's really what the book delves into is we are people first. And what does it mean to have an identity? And just exploring who that person is. Yes, you're not your titles of any kind, your job titles or your wife or daughter or son or brother. You're also, I don't believe that you're not your name either, because some people can change it too. Your soul is there and has no attachments. You're right. And after my cardiac arrest, there are some things I can never do again. Some of those things are part of my identity. Well, who am I now? Mm -hmm. Yes, that happens often. I'm still me. On a deserted island, you're you're just there. Kind of that's why I think of like the, the stray cats. Like you're you're just there. You're, you're And suddenly all those constructs that we've created are just gone. Exactly. And you don't know your brain either or your thoughts. And so Ryan, how do you decided to write the book? It was a long journey. It, I actually started the kind of the seeds of it even before my cardiac arrest. I've been writing it almost, I would say 12 to 15 years. Over the years, it sort of evolved and then life circumstances happened and I'd stop and I'd come back and I felt compelled to do it. But why? I don't know. That's a very good question. Uh, I mean, I, I would work on it every single day for years and years and years and years and years. I felt like it was an extension of me and I can write in ways that I can't speak as close to me as I could be that I could never describe to people. Because when people look at you or they talk to you, they have all kinds of preconceptions about who you are and who you aren't. And and I felt like when I wrote it, it was quiet for me. There was no one talking back and there was no one saying anything. And it even transcends all the roles I've had. And I've had many roles. You know, I've been a coach. I've been a trainer. I've, it was beyond all that stuff. And it was just there. And I, I think there was something very, very comforting about it. So the, the beginning of the book, which was 12 years ago, is different from the way you started. It has changed the way you ended, I'm sure. Is that what you expected? Well, I certainly didn't expect to have the cardiac arrest. Yeah, the, the cardiac arrests they actually did not transform my thinking. I almost thought this way before the cardiac arrest. The cardiac arrest just kind of confirmed what I already thought, which was people and culture and all that, they're kind of living in this weird way where they're living as roles and they're kind of trapped on this to-do list and doing stuff that doesn't make much difference. Cardiac arrest really kind of made me go deeper into it, I think. The, the bones of the book were there. And then after this happened, I would go back kind of throughout the whole thing and like change little bits of it. Who would you recommend this book to? There's self-help and there's shelf-help. I call it shelf-help. There's a lot of books out there that are just steps. What's the steps to fixing everything? But the problem is a lot of that is treat symptoms and not causes. This book is not like a series of steps where it's all sunshine and rainbows. If you do this one system, the way, and I have the way, if you follow it, you'll is your pathway to freedom. It's not a book like that. It's it's more of asking tough questions, digging into what do certain things in my life mean? Like what's real about it? What's real about that? I would say it's for the open-minded person, uh, the person who is not looking for just another system or steps to follow. It's more of a tool for exploration. Okay. So, sounds very interesting. Ryan, how will you tell other people to understand what you're going through. If there is somebody else that's gone through the same as you, health-wise, what is the advice or the tips that you will give to somebody? I would say to, to that person, own who you are. 
self-acceptance doesn't mean that there's nothing to change or nothing that you can't improve. It just means that this is where you are today. In order to be your best, you're going to have to learn to let go of certain things. I grew up as a people pleaser and found my self-worth through external things. That will lead you nowhere. So your self-worth, it's something that you don't have to achieve. It's something you allow. What do you wish other people have said or behave when you were going through all these that you've been going through or even now? I wish people would have given me space to be the person that I needed to be and, and the boundaries. I told you about the amusement park I went to. Well, and that, that particular time, I thought I was with people that were friends, but I, I was not. I, I felt very out of place and they almost treated me like I, I had ruined it almost. That was kind of their demeanor. Your true friends are just going to love you for how, however you show up. And if they don't, they're not your friend. I learned a lot more about friends after going through the cardiac arrest because suddenly I had to put my own health first sometimes and not everybody likes to hear that. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you, Ryan, for sharing your story. It's actually interesting. And, and I love that because even that I don't know you, it just has put me so close to you. And I think that it will help other people too to kind of be more compassionate towards anyone who have gone through what, what happened to you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Great chatting with you. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it today's episode. I am Daniela, and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This would allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto.